So this is Deep In Your Business. My name is Dr. Iglesias. I'll be your host along with Alvaro Salim Noriega. That's right. And Michael Casanova. We're going to leave the Robert out this hey. time. <laughs> so today you guys are going to pick on me. So um, you guys mm. know my life. We've done ministry for a long time. So I'm sure there's things or questions you may have. So I would say shoot. Well, I said before, like you're... You're an interesting character, so I think for the audience, it's going to be cool to get to know a little bit of your story, your background, and you know, for the new for the new viewers who don't know you, you know, it's going to be interesting, though. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, actually, Pam and I were just talking about Sergio, you know, before we came over here for the podcast. It was like we were always we always related to him to like Paul in the Bible, just like bold, doesn't care if you don't like them. And then we were kind of relating to like, okay, what if Paul lived in real life today, you know, and how would he be, you know, um, I, I would almost say he'd be unlikable <laughs> to a lot of people. <laughs> and we were having a discussion about her friends and, and then relating them um, and her friends having issues with the Bible and or with the, then some of the believers that are like, okay, yeah, G Jesus' words are great, but Paul, not so much, you know? <laughs> so it seems like there's like the big division of Paul, but then we always kind of like growing up with Sergio in the Lord, it was always like, wow, that's that's Paul. You know, and that's a huge compliment. You yeah. Know? You know, good. but, you know, um, but it was that just that boldness of like, I don't care. Ah, here you go. <laughs> it's because I, I came from the world and in the world I was bold. And I said, man, if I was bold in the world, why am I going to be a chicken for the things of God? But I would say if it wasn't for my wife, I'd probably be more bold. She's the one that really holds me back. Hey, babe, I don't think you should say it that way, but it's in the Bible, <laughs> you know? And But I would say, yeah, she refrains me a lot. And I guess it's also the spirit of God that lives in me. I, I like to do a lot of fasting, a lot of praying, especially when I was in Wynwood, because when I was preaching in Wynwood, and when I relate to Wynwood, this was a street ministry that we had. And in the street ministry, there was a lot of uh, uh, drug dealers, drug addicts, and I had a contract out of my life for half a million dollars. So when I was out there preaching, I knew that that could have been my last sermon, you know, preaching the gospel. So when I went out there, I had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's funny that you say that, Mike, because every time I would preach, it would feel like this is the last preaching I'm ever going to do. It's like, man, and it just felt so powerful. It was so anointed. Um, but being in a, in a street corner <clears throat> filled with drug addicts, uh, prostitutes, and the church people will come every once in a while, but they'll get a little scared and they'll leave, you know, because it's streets, it's street ministry. And uh, just the, the boldness that I would feel is just saying, God, this may be my last sermon preaching, so just fill me up, and whatever you want me to do, just here I am, God. Just take legal authority over my mind, over my heart, and just, you know, use me. And I've seen a lot of healing, deliverance. I've seen the power of God move in a mighty way. And with that same example of Paul, uh, we see two, two lives, you know, the Paul before Christ and then the Paul after yeah. Christ. So, yeah. you know... My first question would be like, how was your life before you became a Christian and stuff? Because 
people might see you today or we start a conversation, oh, you're bald and this and that, but people don't know how you were before. So when you say, I was bald in the world, what do you refer to? So I wasn't scared of anyone or anything. And the reason why I say that is because um, I, I had an extreme life. Um, my father committed suicide when I was uh, 12 years old. Um, at age 13, my grandfather uh, died. He had a heart attack. And my grandmother, I'm sorry, my mom looked me in the eyes. She just said, son, your grandfather died because of you. I never got to meet my dad. So I lived a very extreme life. And I always questioned if God really existed. So in a way, I live life like I wanted somebody to kill me. So I never wanted to take my life. I wasn't that suicide type of guy. But I did, didn't mind if someone would take my life. So I was bold in the streets, like, you're going to kill me, kill me. I've had guns pointed on my chest. I remember this one time we were in Bayside, and these guys were like, throw up a gang sign, we'll leave, we'll leave you alone. And I'm like, I'm not going to throw up no gang sign. So he took out his gun, he put it on my chest, and I was like, shoot me. I was grabbing his gun and literally <laughs> telling him, shoot me. He goes, you know, the guy was like, are you crazy? I go, no, I think you are. You're the one holding the gun. But I, I really wasn't afraid of dying. I remember, <clears throat> this is an interesting story. So this was a night that um, I had multiple girlfriends. and But this one night, I whispered another girl's name. And when I opened up my eyes, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm in the wrong room. But look how God works. He protected me even through the chaos of my life. That day I got home uh, from a club and I had a 40 caliber Glock. And I, I went to, so I had the gun inside of my shirt. So when I went to go reach for the door, the gun fell and I saw the barrel looking at me and uh, well, not looking at me, but facing me. And it almost, I, I said in my mind, man, if this would have shot, it would have shot me straight in the head. So I took the bullet out of the chamber that night. I went to bed and I remember I lay down and I said uh, another girl's name. And I opened my eyes and I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. I'm it's in the, the, it's wrong the wrong girl. It's, it's the, the wrong, wrong girl. girl. <laughs> so I turned around slowly. I was like, oh, like yawning. And that other girl's eyes were like this big. Mm. And I'm like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I turned around, I closed my eyes and she grabbed my gun put it to my head and she squeezed the trigger, man. And it's like God has had so many, uh, has taken me out of so many times where, man, I should have been dead. And when you, mm. you know, like mm. when, when you say that you were, you know, like crazy in your lifestyle and yeah. stuff, like, what do you refer to? Like, you know, did you, did you steal? Did you have a bunch of girls? Like, you know, yeah. what, what, what was like, if you, if you make a list out of who you were in the world, what, what would that list have? So I was a mastermind, and I did a little bit of everything, stuff that I can't talk about in this podcast. <laughs> um, but I did a little bit of everything. Um, I, Again, I just wanted someone to take my life. So I lived a very extreme life. Um, I did everything from uh, stealing from people, uh, a lot of illegal networks. Um, again, I can't get into details, but a lot of illegal networks. And um, 
I remember I'll have guys sell drugs for me. Um, and there was this one instant where uh, one of these guys that were selling drugs for me actually went into my house and tried to steal. Well, he did steal from me. And I'll never forget this moment. This is something that just came to mind, and I know it's the Holy Spirit. But I remember making the guy kneel down. I grabbed my gun. I put it to his head, and I had my finger on the trigger. And I went to squeeze the trigger, but the guy was saying, Jesus, in Spanish, Señor, ayúdame. I promise you. I was trying to press that trigger, but I could not for the life of me. I wanted to take his life. I really <laughs> did. Yeah. And I wanted to do that to get my respect. So this would be the last person that would break into my house. And uh, so, yeah, man, I, I'll never forget that night. I tried to press the trigger and I couldn't. And I also remember doing a lot of illegal stuff. And there was just certain people that I could not interact with or try to hurt them and I believe it's because they were sealed with the Holy Spirit, man. And that's just something that the Holy Spirit now it's bringing to member, remembrance, you know, where he says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. They'll form, but they won't prosper. I remember another time that I was um, doing something illegal in, in my front yard. And this guy walks up to me and he says, um, hey, God bless you. I promise you. I felt like just water from heaven, boom, hit me. And I'm like, I'm not saved. You know, I'm looking at the guy like, what was that? And it was just the presence of God just wooing me in. And, and again, this is God just bringing these moments to memory. I remember another time that I was already saved and I was with a, a young girl in bed. And uh, we were having sex and scriptures were going through my mind. Now, mind me, I haven't read the Bible. You know, I just started with the things of God, and I'm like, I am schizophrenic. I am bipolar. I'm going through something. This is crazy. And I remember arguing with God and saying, this is not supposed to happen now at this moment, you know, and I'm angry with God and and I remember walking away and the girls, what's wrong? And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Get out of here. You know, um, I was a very violent person, that that I'll tell you. Um, I used to like fighting. And the reason I liked fighting was because it was natural to me. My grandfather, when I was, you know, growing up, seven, eight, nine, ten, he would take me to this park called Clemente Park. And him with other, I guess, grandfathers that were there, We'll bet money and we'll just fist fight. And I loved coming home mm -hmm. with a bloody nose, uh, blood from my ear. I, I <laughs> love the black eye because my I wanted to make my grandfather happy. Right. Proud, yeah. And I made him so proud. I'm not mm -hmm. going to say I won every fight. Uh, they put some big guys against me sometimes <laughs> that whoop me. But I loved it. So as I started growing up in my teenage years, I... I used to love fighting and let the person hit me two, three, four, five times. And I'm like, that's all you got? And I would fight because I used to love getting hit. And man, it was just crazy. Um, I remember one time I was with Ivan uh, from Walk for Christ. He gave his life to Jesus. And we were in a club. And look how the enemy was using me already. So I'm in a club. It was called uh, Baja Beach Club. Music is playing. And I remember hearing a voice and that voice telling me, that guy's looking at you wrong. And I'm sure a lot of people go through this in the world. 
So they're going to relate to this. Man, he's looking at you wrong. He's trying you, dog. And Ivan's like, where are you going? I said, no, I'll be back. So I was on the stage dancing. I went around and I punched that guy with everything I had in the face. He's like, why you hit me? Because I don't like you, though. You know. And I kept dancing. And Ivan was like, bro, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't like the way he was looking at me. <laughs> so a lot of times I'll be in certain areas. It doesn't matter where I was at. And I always felt like I had to hurt somebody. And I believe a lot of that also came from my mom belittling me, you know, telling me I'm a delinquent, I'm never going to amount to anything, and she'll curse me out. I mean, all these things that, that I would bottle in at home that I couldn't wait till I go to school or just get out the door to beat the life out of someone just to feel better about myself. Now, let me ask you mm. questions in regards to that. Yeah. Because, you know, describing that those situations is... It's your story, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what you went through. Yeah. But how how did God change those things? For example, you were saying that your mom will tell you all of these things. And we all look for that acceptance or, you know, to belong or to be loved. So when we talk about the love of God, nobody really understands what we're talking about yeah. unless it has some kind of form. So if your mom treated you like that, How did God treat you and how do you get, you know, healed in those areas through the process of, of getting to know God? When I understood the scripture that says, if you don't forgive men and their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. So I learned that forgiveness was key to live a life that is free in Jesus Christ. When I mean by freedom, there is a lot of Christians now that They're walking in bondage because they have unforgiveness from, from their past. There's people that have been um, molested. There's people that have been uh, just, I mean, the, the list goes on. And they hold on to all of this anger, bitterness, and hate. And they're drinking poison expecting the person to die. And they're the ones that are dying from the inside. So for me, was key to understand that forgiveness, man, is the recipe to live a life that is just so pleasing to God. So, and, and was it easy for, for you to forgive? You know, like, like it, you know, if, if your mom did all that stuff in the past, yeah. you know, how did you, how did you come to, Hey, I'm going to forgive you. It was simple because I understood that the Bible says, again, if you forgive men and if you don't forgive men and their trespasses, neither would I forgive you. So I understood that that recipe was just something that I couldn't leave out. You know, I couldn't say, well, I'm going to forgive this one. I'm going to forgive that one. But I understood that I had to forgive everyone that's ever hurt me. But the thing is that this is something that I couldn't do on my own. The Bible says that apart from God, we can't do nothing. I can't forgive on my own. The Holy Spirit is who gave me the ability to forgive my mom and forgive my enemies. There was no other way to do it. So it was the Holy Spirit that gave me the power to do it, but I did it with joy. I did it knowing that um, my heart would be set free, that I would no longer have to drink that poison, expecting that person to die. I understood through the word of God that he was going to set me free once and for all. So it was easy for me to forgive after that, because I was a person that held a lot of grudge, but it took the Holy Spirit 
to set me free. So you mentioned earlier about a contract on your life. Yeah. So, I, you know, I've heard you say this multiple times. And how much was it for? It was half a million dollars. Half a million dollars. Now, I'm just throwing it up in there. Why wasn't yeah. it not $500? Why wasn't it $10,000? Like, I guess, do you know the backstory of how it came to that conclusion of a half a million? Because it, it just sounds like a throw a number on a wall and it sticks right. type of thing. And then bring us through how you got to that point of having a contract yeah. or a killing someone, you know, paying, willing to pay half a million dollars to kill you. So it was something that, man, it was something like, like from a movie. Right. Um, That's what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went to go pick up my ex-wife and at the time we didn't have any children. And I remember her coming downstairs uh, from the second floor and I grabbed my car. I had a Buick Regal. It was a 1982 Buick Regal. Had a flip-flop paint job. That's how it starts kind of dark and it ends up light. Had crushed interior, the really nice interior. I had hydraulics in the front, so my car would jump. I had uh, 212s, 210s, and I had bass in my car. And I remember as she was going down, um, I was playing the bass, and there was a bunch of guys uh, that were by a telephone uh, back then you know the ones you put a quarter you make a phone call <laughs> and i was jumping my car boom 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 and it had bass on it and one of the guys said a bad word oh f you my nigga and i said i said what you said dog and i hit reverse so i dropped the car down and a guy came up to my car and he's like no man uh i like your car bro can i jump it and i allowed him to jump my car and as he was jumping the car um, he turned off my vehicle. Um, two other guys came. One of the guys grabbed me by the hair and they pulled me out of the car. Um, but before that happened, I had reached for my gun in the glove box. I put the clip on. I cocked the, the, the gun back. And, you know, as, as this uh, was happening. So anyways, they pulled me out of the car. Did, did you did you know any of the guys at all? Have you ever seen them in a neighborhood? Were they part of like Wynwood or they were at somewhere else? So that... I heard of this one guy. Okay. But the other two, I never, you know, there were more from uh, Pastor Alan Lino towards his area where he lived. I live more towards 2nd Ave and they live more towards 7th Ave. Okay. okay. So um, they pulled me out of the car. And there was two individuals, one on my right, one on the left. And the one in the middle was grabbing me really tight from the chest. And he was punching me in the face. And uh, these two other individuals were kicking me in my ribs. Uh, and I fell down to my knee. And I said, take the car. And they said, no, now we're going to kill you. So the feeling is like your soul is being ripped out of your body. So... I can't. That's the best way to explain it. It's I'm dead. Like when you when you hear, you know, when you hear them saying, "Oh, we're gonna kill you," it just went like, like. Well, when I was in the floor, <clears throat> my knee hit the floor. I said, "Take the car." I was already bleeding from my eye. Um, again, and then later on, I found out I was bleeding from my chest. That's how tight they were holding me. Had bruises on my uh, ribs and bruises behind my neck. Guess they were trying to knock me out. And when my knee hit the ground, I felt that it was over. That's it, because I said, take the car. I said, no, now we're going to kill you. And uh, I remember 
at that moment, I released a shot and then, and I had a 380 on me. It's a 380 caliber uh, weapon. And I shot it and just to kind of scare them off. So I remember the other two backed off. So I stood up and um, he punched me in the face again, still while grabbing me. He punched me in the face again. And I'm like, okay, that didn't scare him. Let me try scaring him again. So I released a second shot and the gun was held really close to my ribs because they were trying to take it from me. So I released a second shot. Then I released a third shot. Uh, and I remember releasing the fourth shot. And then the guy backed off. The other two, uh, one of them said, oh, go grab the nine millimeter. So they went, one guy went to go grab the gun. So I already released four shots. And I remember grabbing my gun and, and pointing it towards him. He's like, oh, that's good. Don't, don't grab a gun. Don't grab the gun. So the one that I had shot, I didn't know as I released those four shots, one hit him at the, um, it was three in the heart and one in the spleen. I had to see the picture afterwards. I remember that day going and driving and going to the 7-Eleven and I put the gun right on my pinky. It was hanging down. It had blood over me. I remember raising my hand with the gun. Uh, I knew at that 7-Eleven, the cops would be there eating donuts. So I remember I walked in and I said, hey, I just killed somebody. Don't move. They pulled their weapons. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't think I'm going to survive today. <laughs> so they took the gun. They handcuffed me. They took me back and um, no one was there. So well, they picked the guy up and took him to the hospital. So to answer your question, Mike, um, after everything was said and done, I pieced the stories together through my lawyer, um, the witnesses, and my friends. Uh, it was a crazy time. People were fighting in prison. There was, I mean, big prison fights because some were on my side and somewhere on mm. his side. Mm. So there was fights in prison. Nah, no surge dog. And I know he didn't, you know, so mm. they thought it was um, it's not a, king, a, a kingpin or some kind of like yeah. head honcho type of thing where yep. that's what I'm saying. That's what I was curious on. Like, how did they place that valuation on your life? So I'm going to tell you. So right. what happened was, um, so they were split. There were some on my side, some on the other. Uh, those that didn't know me, they spread a rumor and they said I was a hitman. Mm. So little did I know that that individual, at least this is what I'm told, I can't say it's a fact, he uh, did a hit for like 10 birds, 10 uh, kilos of cocaine. And they thought that they sent me out as a hitman to kill him for that. Mm. No, it was just a person that was going to college at the time, you know, that went to go pick up his his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, call it the wrong place, the long, uh, wrong time, you know, but that's what happened. So after that, I remember uh, being inter interrogated by the police. Um, that was a long process. I went home that day. So in the morning, I got up like just like any normal day, you know, got up, went out the door and, you know, uh, stretched. And I remember cars pulling in front of my gate, surge. You need to get out of here now. And I'm like, what's going on? They go, bro, they're going to kill you. I go, kill me for what? Nah, man, I let them bring us a surge. You got to get out of here. So uh, then was the funeral. In the funeral, my cousin was there. Mm. 
And in the funeral was when they were planning to kill me. And this is where I heard that um, it was a half a, a half a million dollar contract to kill me. Mm. And I had police protection. So the police did come to my house. Um, but I was dealing with, I don't know what you want to call it, but I went crazy, yeah, you know, anxiety, because anxiety. Yeah. it was a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. My stomach was um, always tensed. Paranoid, yeah. Paranoid, like yeah. Uh, I felt like always, who I don't care if it was a family member, I always felt like someone was trying to set me up mm -hmm. to try to kill me. And it's funny I say that because there was a family member, distance family member, that kind of wanted to cash out on that, mm. and I knew about it. Wow. And I was in a house in Homestead, to be precise, and I was hiding in the bathroom and I was listening to the conversation. Mm. Hey, yeah. so where's Sergio? Ah, da, da, you know, and I was listening and I'm like, hmm. So <laughs> I lost it after that. Um, I went back to Wynwood and uh, I said, they're going to kill me. Let them kill me. So at what point did you lose that paranoia of, of being killed? I never uh, lost it. You never lost it. Okay. I never lost that paranoia. It was... 24 hours a day, seven days a week, night sweats, having dreams over and over of individuals coming in. I opened my eyes and boom, boom, they kill me. So I would die almost every night and I would wake up with night sweats. Um, I would uh, carry a gun. The gun was always on me like, like if it was part of my body. Mm-hmm. I'll be at, for instance, at the time would be Burger King or McDonald's. I would keep the gun and hold the trigger right under the table. I didn't mind dying, but I wanted to take somebody down with me. That was that was the mentality. I remember I was by Biscayne Bay, and there was this one guy that saw me. And when he went to go grab his gun, he opened up his truck. When he went to go grab his gun, I already had mine right behind his head. Mm. And I said, if you move, I will kill you. No, 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 Serge. No, you straight. I said, I know I'm straight. If I see you again, I'm going to kill you. There was another guy uh, that they called him. Well, I'm not going to get detailed with names, but he had an AR with him. And he was walking up and down my block, up and down my block. And I was watching him. So I grabbed my gun. He turned his uh, back. And when he turned around... I told him, my nigga, if I ever see you again, no, 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 sir, sir. I said, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. And he knows I meant it. Mm -hmm. And I never seen him again ever in my life. But this was like over and over and over again. But that was um, part of your lifestyle, you know, like, like, you yeah. know, being with those kind of people and being like in that yeah. kind of environment. So... When when did God come to your life, and how did you get out of that environment to a different one? So, did I answer your question, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think specifically, yeah, it was contrasting. Um, you know, when did when did that fear ever leave? You know, the specifically, yeah, was it was it before you became to Christ, or was it you know a transition after you became to Christ? That fear of someone having a hit yeah. on your life. So. To answer Alvaro's question, because we transitioned to that, mm -hmm. from 1994 to 1997, 
I dealt with PTSD, um, paranoia, um, night terrors. Well, killing killing somebody, you know, taking somebody's yeah. life is, yeah. you know, people see it in movies and stuff, and they think it's a game or it's or it's playing around, and yeah. it's not. You know, like when you take someone's life, that image is imprinted in your in your in your brain, and it never goes away. Yeah. And the guilt and the shame and all that stuff, I think only God can do that. That's that that was that was part of the question, but. Not as not as a changing the subject, but more like, you know, what's the progression of 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 that situation into yeah. getting out of it? You know. So, but your question connects to uh, yeah. what Mike was saying. Yeah. Because from 1994 to 1997, I dealt with all of that, and it only got worse and worse and worse. And getting closer to 97, I wanted to kill somebody. It's something that I. Open doors to demons. Every demon that you can possibly think of, I open doors. Because I had bitterness, anger. I just had every demonic oppression that you can think of attack me because I didn't have Christ. I had a void, an emptiness. And when you were feeling like that, you know, what you were talking about before, like the sex with the women and all that, you try yeah. to fill that yeah. emptiness with that, and then it becomes more of, yeah. a, of, a, of a black hole. Yeah. So one woman wasn't enough, so I needed a second one, and then I introduced a third one to the second one, and next thing you know, all three knew each other. Um, there was no rules in my life. There was just no rules. I didn't, I, I remember getting chlamydia, and they all got chlamydia and probably their boyfriends got chlamydia. I didn't care if I caught AIDS. I didn't care for using protection. I didn't care. A condom didn't exist to me. So again, I never wanted to commit suicide, but I wanted someone to kill me. Well, you had that desire of, of death, you yeah. know, because yeah. there's no purpose in life and there's no way out or whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And when you take someone's life, and you don't have Christ, it gets worse and worse. You literally want to take someone's life again. That's why a lot of these guys that end up in death row, they end up killing people in there or in prison or jail. When you take someone's life, it's like you open a door to a legion of demons. You know, it's not only a perverted demon. We're talking about uh, uh, spirit of fear. You're talking about spirit of death. We're talking about spirit of antichrist. You're always angry and you're willing to do anything. And you're in bondage. For Satan. Oh yeah. Know. Huge bondage. So for me, um, the reason why uh, I became radical for the things of Jesus is because no one knows what had gone through my mind. No one knows what was in my heart when I was in the world. I was deceived. I was lied to by the enemy. And as I started reading the word of God and renewing my mind and understanding who am I in the scriptures, it made me bold. It's like, wait a minute. So I'm, I am going to amount to something. I'm a child of the king. Wait a minute. I'm not going to go to hell. Now I have eternal life. So I literally started eating the word of God, you know, and that's where my transformation started taking place. I stopped listening to the lies of the enemy. Again, he would use my mom. He would use my friends. He would use my enemies that I'm not going to amount to anything. Um, all these lies were 
captivated in my mind and in my heart. But through renewing of my mind, reading the word of God, I started being set free. So when, when I see religious folks and they're like, oh, you shouldn't wear those shoes. You shouldn't... Uh, Look the way that you look. You're you're a born again believer. You should have a suit. You should have a tie. No, I my God renewed my heart. He renewed my mind. I don't think he really cares what shoes I wear. <laughs> I don't think he cares if I had a long beard, a short beard. I don't think he cares how I look. He cares about my heart and if I am a willing vessel. So now you have this person that was radical in the world that didn't believe God, in God, that hated God, that now I'm radical for the things of Jesus. So if I was crazy in the world, man, I'm crazier now for Jesus. <laughs> That's why I, I don't hold back. But how was how was your transition from being that crazy to, yeah. to end up doing the things of God? Because, you know, if you're used to having sex and doing drugs or, or selling drugs or having money and then, you know, like just spend money like crazy getting out of that lifestyle and going into, okay, I'm going to be a godly person. I'm going to follow, you know, what he says and not what I want. Dude, that's, that's a huge transition. How well, was think, that? Yeah. To add on that too. I mean, I think there's people listening going like, man, I struggle with you know, the PTSD or I've taken somebody's life and I'm a believer now, but I'm still struggling with yeah. the thoughts. Yeah. How, how was that like, what was the transition, you know, like, yeah. you know, obviously what was it instant? Was it gradual? What is it, you know, where, where is that out and what direction can you lead people to that freedom, that mental freedom? So I, I didn't understand it. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I did not understand a bit, nothing. So there was a pastor, his name was uh, Keith Blakely and I was in downtown Miami. Um, and it's funny how, I came to know Jesus. It was over a bet. So everybody wants to know, how did you give your life to Christ? Like, what happened? Were you alone in, in a dark room and he showed up? Did, <laughs> did you feel the goosebumps? Was it radical? Like, what happened, mm. you know, for you to live such a crazy life and, 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 you know, to the point of wanting to take someone's life and now you're following Jesus. You have peace in your life. What happened? Man, it was over a bet, believe it or not. Um, and I, I remember being interviewed in the past and they was, was it gangs? I said, nope, never in no gangs. Was it alcohol? Never use alcohol. Was it uh, drugs? Never use drugs. So when I say it's a bet, they're like, well, there has to be more. No, it was a bet. So this person by the name of William uh, told me uh, if I wanted to go to church. And I told him, my nigga, are you crazy, dog? Like, <laughs> you got to be out of your mind I have $1,000 in my pocket, cash right now. I have a 24-foot uh, boat. I have a brand new car. I have a ninja motorcycle. I mean, I got women. What does your God have to offer? And I remember um, telling him no. And then I turned around. I was going in the door uh, into my house. And I remember stopping and saying, poor little Christian boy. Let me bring him into my world, you know. God ain't real. He's fake. So I turned around and I said, hey, William, come with me to a strip club on Friday and I'll go with you to church on Sunday. He said, nah. I said, that's what I thought, little Christian boy. <laughs> and then he said, I'll go. And I was like, uh-oh, because I'm a man of my word. So 
we went to a strip club on on Friday. And I remember uh, back then, uh, lap dance was um, $10. And I kept sending, boom, lap dance, lap dance. <laughs> he was looking up and, you know, the strippers were dancing and looking at him. And I'm like, yes, I got him. He's <laughs> out of that world, man, mm -hmm. that poor little brainwashed Christian, you know. But then we went to church on Sunday. <laughs> now, it's funny, but I want you to imagine I had a, a white tank top. It was a wife beater and I had my chains on, my St. Lazarus, and I had my uh, Virgin Mary and, and I had uh, my rings on. And anyways, I'm sitting there and I want you to imagine this Cuban with his foot up on the chair. And I'm like, bro, I can't wait, bro, for these 35 minutes to end. <laughs> you know, this weird praise and worship. It was a Baptist church. So, you know, they play the organ and it was like boring. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm there and uh, Keith Blakely, I was preaching the message, the gospel. And he says, you know, there are the children of God and there's God's creation. And in order to become a child of God, you have to trust in Jesus and then you become his son. And if you don't trust in him, you will go to hell. And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> that's me. Like he singled me out. Now, mind me, it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me because I could have closed my eyes. I could have fall, fell asleep or ignored. But at that moment, God ca captivated me. And for a moment, I said, this is real. Watch this. He said, this is real. And I said, man, and he says, come to the front and trust in Jesus. Now, I had the 40 caliber Glock ready to rock and roll. I had some black talent bullets. And uh, I came to the front and I did the sinner's prayer. Amen. And he opens his eyes. How do you feel with a smile? And I looked at him like, you lied to me. <laughs> I was so convinced that this God thing was real, but now you're telling me to repeat a prayer and I'm saved now. Mind me, I really did repeat the prayer. I meant it. I said, I God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose on the third day. Jesus come into my heart. Like I really prayed it. I really believe it, but I didn't feel anything. <laughs> so what was it? I mean, just this curiosity because, so was it that convincing for you? Like instantly hearing it for you and you just like, yeah, like what, what, what caught your attention about what, right, what, because, what he said. Right, like what, I mean. It was the Holy Spirit because I never heard the gospel before in my entire life right, of living. Right, but you're going, you know, we're trying to, we're the outside looking in, you know, you're explaining that you're like the God doesn't exist of anything yeah. and all of a sudden you hear the gospel message and you're just ready to accept it like yeah. instantly. There was wow. a moment where fear came upon me and I was like, I'm going to hell. But oh, my mom okay. would always tell me that I'm a child of God because she would say, uh, God is going to punish you. That's all I ever knew. God <laughs> is going to punish you if you do this. God is going to punish you. So, But for a moment, God opened my heart for me to understand that there is a place called hell and there is a place called heaven. I understood for the first time that Jesus died on the cross. I did not know that for 20 four years that he rose from the dead. Now, I knew he died on the cross because I would leave my Catholic home <laughs> and I'll see Jesus dead, you know, the pretty Jesus with the green eyes, with the, the blood in his hands. And I'll be like, oh, he died. I didn't know he rose from the dead. So I understood the gospel for the first time. God illuminated my heart. 
I trusted in him, but I was so angry. Now, I know a lot of people are going to connect with me uh, and understand what I felt. I felt that he lied to me. So I saw myself in my mind. I used to see it a lot. I took out my gun and I shot and killed him. I saw that. And then I was like, you know, because going back to the PTSD, you can't control your mind. So it takes you back to that moment over and And over again. It reproduces it with other people as well. Yes. You can't stop it. I don't care how much you try to stop your mind. You hear it. You hear that. Ah, Boom, boom, boom. Hey, call the police. All of that plays over in your mind over and over. So at that moment, I was going to shoot that pastor because I said, this was my last hope. But what did and you feel? You me. you felt you felt that it was too easy. Yes. Oh, okay. It was too easy. I wanted so it's to like, walk. Oh, up. say this prayer, and then that's it, and then you're in, yeah. and then you were going like, oh man, this is this is a bunch of crap. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to walk on my knees for three blocks. I wanted to do. You, want, you something. wanted to pay the price. Yes. In order to. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to do something to be accepted. Okay. I worked for everything I've ever had in the world. And I didn't have to work for his salvation. No, no, no. I could not accept that. I was so angry. I walked away and I said, Bill, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, because, for example, the Catholic Catholic religion has a lot of like sacrifices and things like that. You hear people like, you know, on their knees walking like X distance, you know, in order to pay for something that they did or... You know, you always have to do something as a sacrifice to please God. Right. I think there were some people, some Catholics and I forgot what country it is, but they would crucify themselves yeah. and everything. And I would have felt good with that. Yeah. I would have felt good with that, honestly. Worthy. Yeah. yeah, like like you have to you have to reproduce what, what Jesus did in order yes. to feel that, oh man, I yes. did I did what he did, so I'm in. Yeah. Instead of like, you receive it for free. And that's what I wanted to do. Just make me bleed. Make me work for it. I couldn't understand that we're saved by grace through faith and not by work. So no one would boast. God didn't want me to to say, hey, you see what I did for you? No. He said, I did it on my own. I sent my only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. And all you got to do is die to yourself, repent from your sins, trust in my son, Jesus, and you'll have eternal life. So I, I remember going back and saying, Bill, let's get out of here, bro. So you wanted to kill the guy, and then what did you do? Yeah, I left angry. So I was very, very that was, angry. That was day one. Yeah. What, yeah. Was, what was day two? Like? <laughs> so day two Back was, to normal or no, or no? No, I was so mad with God. I started feeling an overwhelming conviction mm. Over the smallest little things. I was so mad with God. I'm like, God, I ain't no punk, man. You know, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be feeling like this emotional. I had no emotions. Listen, I would hurt someone and never even think about it and walk away. But then I would do the, the so I was doing, I can't get specific, but I was doing illegal things. Um, so people would come to my house and I would do illegal things and when I would turn in the merchandise or whatever I was doing, I would feel like I just wanted to cry. I felt like the 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 world was on my shoulders. And I'm like, what is this? I didn't understand because I wasn't reading the Bible yet. I wasn't going to church and understanding that now I have the Holy Spirit 
living inside of me that's convicting me of sin and unrighteousness. He's showing you a reality yeah. that you were used to be the norm yeah. and now it's not normal yeah. because he's saying, hey, I don't want this. Yeah. A couple of days later, I went to a friend of mine's uh, house. He committed suicide. His name was uh, Riggy. And I remember going to his house and um, they offered me half a kilo of a cocaine, really cheap. We were, they were shooting pool. I walked in and everyone looked at me quiet, like, is, is he back? <laughs> you know, it's only been a couple of days, you know. And uh, they say, hey, Serge, we'll give you half a kilo of cocaine. And everybody stood quiet. No one said anything. And I said, hold on, dog. I went outside and I said, God, do you know what I can do with that half a kilo of cocaine? I'm negotiating with God right now. <laughs> and I said, I can break up, you know, in, in little baggies and da-da-da. I can have people serve and I can bless the church, God. <laughs> I'm that serious. Man. You're negotiating yes. like, and, 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 and bribing, yeah. bribing your entrance. <laughs> so I felt that heaviness come upon me again. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm not liking this. So I go inside and I try to grab that half a kilo of cocaine. I got closer and closer. And the closer I got, I felt heavy and heavy. And I'm like, and I said, dog, I can't touch that. And I turned around and I walked away. Man, I was so upset, man. But I'm going to tell you a funny story. My friend Iran also died. Uh, so it was Iran, my friend Cujo. He's spending uh, 20 years in prison. He should be coming out this year, 20 years. So it was uh, Cujo, Iran. And, and I remember uh, being in church and already testifying. I was already testifying. And I said, man, that's it, bro. I'm never going to fall into temptations again. Oh, my goodness. Why I said that? So <laughs> I drive into the hood. And my friend Iran's like, what's up, Serge? Hey, listen, I know you're into the computer business, this and that. I got some stolen merchandise. And I said, man, I don't know if y'all know, bro, and but I'm born again, man, and I'm serving Jesus. And as I'm trying to preach to them, drrr, he opens the truck and filled with computer stuff, bro. <laughs> and he said, bro, this is all I want. Bro, I took that money out so fast and handed it to him. It was like sneezing, man. So I got all this stolen merchandise, brought it to my house, and I felt so much conviction, man. And I'm like, God, this is not fair. Now, I'm going to tell you the last thing that I did that was illegal. There was this homeless man that um, he brought to me a lot of tools, man, a lot of tools. And uh, he broke into, I forget what store, he brought me a lot of tools. And I gave him, I don't know, like $40, $50. And um, he came back and he brought me a, uh, but this was back before uh following Jesus, he came back and brought me a stolen merchandise. And I said, listen, I'm born again. I no longer do these things. And um, my ex-wife got the stolen merchandise. And I knocked, when I say I knocked this guy out, I knocked him out. I punched him right in the nose and he fell out. He was <laughs> knocked out. So I waited for him to get up. And I said, I want you to spread the word <laughs> that I am born again <laughs> and I am no longer buying stolen merchandise. I am no longer doing the things of the world and let everybody know that if you mess with me, I'm going to hurt you. So again, in the beginning, I didn't know. I did feel conviction. 
for hurting him. So my first nine months were really rough, really, really rough. I remember one of the girls that I was sleeping with, um, she grabbed the knife and she goes, you're not going to sleep with me anymore. I go, no. She put it against her wrist and she goes, I'm going to slice my wrist. But at that point, I'm sure I'm going to say this and people are going to relate to me. I had such a deep, intimate relationship with God. And this was just weeks, bro, that I felt when I was walking, I was walking in the air. It was so weird. It was like I'm half in the dream and and half in reality. She grabbed the knife. She was going to cut herself. And I turned around and I said, God is the one that's in control. I turned around and I walked away. I do got to tell you a funny story. There was a... I was living in downtown Miami at the time, and there was this uh, homosexual that his mom died, and he opened the window, and he was going to jump off of, I forgot what floor he was in. And they went and knocked on my door, and they said, run, run, there's this guy, he's going to commit suicide, we know you're a Christian, we want you to preach to him. So I go upstairs, and uh, the guy's like, hi, hi, about to jump out of the window. So I come with compassion. And I'm here preaching the gospel. Jesus loves you. And, you know, he wants to save you. My mom died. I have nothing else to live for. Ah, he was like a, he was very flamboyant, short, little curly hair, a guy that really thought he was a woman. And I remember sitting down and telling him about Jesus and he fell on my lap. And his head, you know, got close to my private part. So I pushed him away. And I go, what's wrong with you? You know, like, remember, I'm still, you know, in, in, in hood mode. I'm like, what's wrong with you? And he goes, oh, you don't know how many men I've seduced. And, and you don't know what it is to be with a man. And, and I, I, t- I looked at him and I told him, jump. <laughs> Literally <laughs> told him to jump out of the window. So... <laughs> My beginning. (laughs) You wanted to jump? You wanted to jump? Let me just (laughs) jump you. (laughs) You know, when I knew without a shadow of doubt that God really existed, like remember, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. But when I knew that God really, really, really existed, and this is going to be a crazy story, but everybody has a crazy story. I remember I had a snake and I kept it in my fish tank. I bought a rat to feed the snake. And I said to God, I said, God, nothing can stop this snake from eating this rat. Nothing. So I remember putting the rat inside and I walked away. I hit the tank. The tank fell and I watched the rat get away. (laughs) The door was slightly open and it got away. And I was like, Like the fear, I mean, to some it's insignificant, but to me, I was like, this is real. So what did I start doing? The Bible says what you ask God in that quiet place, he's going to reveal it openly. So I started going in the closet. Nobody can hear me. A lot of times it'll be from my mind and I will ask God for things and then he'll reveal it to me through a person's mouth or, or something that I would ask for. And I'm like, this God thing is real. And and those little details are mm. what makes it 
personal or yes. or um, intimate with God because yes. only you know what you asked and only you know how he revealed it. Yeah. But these stories are cool because when people hear you're like 20 some years, you know, knowing God. And then today you do a bunch of things that are very different than what you used to do when you were in the world. Yeah. But nobody understands that transition we were talking about, yeah. that it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. And the fact that you do a prayer or you go to church doesn't mean that you are perfect like Jesus right yeah. away. It's a process. Yeah. And in that process, we all make a lot of mistakes. Of course. We all make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And nobody has a manual <laughs> say that again to, please to, yeah. to tell you oh this is the way to be a christian yeah everybody has yeah. to go through it in a different yeah. way and everybody has to figure out his relationship yeah. with god so when you talk about this transitions right. hey look you know uh uh homeless guy comes and you punch him in the in the in the, in the face and you're yeah. telling him hey you know i don't want to do this anymore People might say, oh, but how come you punch him in the face? And because I'm still like dealing with this stuff. I'm, I'm still trying to understand what I yeah. got what, what I got myself into. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. we don't know. No. We, we do the prayer. Yeah. And we go, okay, cool. And we have certain image in our mind, yeah. but God has a different one. Yeah. And then when we try to match what we have with what he has, he's like, okay, are you gonna do what, what I want? <laughs> exactly. Or are you gonna do what you want? Yeah. Because whose will are you gonna yeah. do? And in that, in that sharing right. your life with God is when He starts like sending all those yeah. those rough patches of your life, and He starts changing you. So, in regards to that, what was the what was the main change that that made you be cool with God and leave your life behind and really like you know dig into God? Because right. you know I don't know if that was your case. But for me, I was like in the world and then with God, in the world and then in church, in the world and this. So I don't know if it was like that with you, but what made you make that decision? And to add on to that too, did you have mentorship? Like I did people not. that you can go to and kind of like, hey, how yeah. do I deal with this? You didn't have anyone to yeah. kind of like... In the beginning, it was it was uh, William Perez. That's the one that brought me to the mm -hmm. knowledge of Jesus Christ. But, That's the guy that took you to the church where... Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'll use an example. Um, there was this guy by the name of Freddie Holmes. He died also. Uh, I believe they shot and killed him. Um, he was a homosexual. I didn't know because I had to uh, ask God to forgive me from uh, a lot of my anger that I had towards homosexuals. And I uh, remember that was a big challenge for me because he's like, hey, I want to pray. And, <laughs> and I'm like, mm, I will boil from the inside, you know. <laughs> but then, of course, as time went by, God gave me the sermon and I called it out. I go, you're, you're a homosexual. I called it out for what it is. Um, I remember going with him on a cruise it was not a cruise it was a uh, uh, at bayside one of those boats on bayside okay and they put booty music on and i saw him freddie was um a dancer and he used to dance with luke go freddie is your birthday is your birthday that mm -hmm. freddie so he i don't know how he did it but he was on his shoulders his legs were up and he was booty dancing, boom, boom. And I'm like, that's the coolest thing in the world. The girls were going crazy. So 
I did what I did. I was a stripper. <laughs> so I got on the floor and I was dancing like a stripper. And they were like, ah, going crazy and stuff. And <laughs> after that, I'm like, Freddie, this was the best time ever, man. It was awesome, bro. And then I called William. William, you're not going to believe this. He goes, I, I got to call you back. He called Freddie and told oh, him off. Dude. He called me back and he's like, you're not supposed to listen to worldly music. Uh, bro, you're not going to take Power 96 from me, bro. You know, why 100? Like, you got to be out of your mind. Changing the let it rain for the... Come on, bro. You're not going to do that to me. So it was a battle. Um, I didn't understand it. He understood that I was reopening doors to the enemy and giving him legal authority. I just knew that... What I was doing in the world, I can do it in Christianity. Bro, it was so cool. Um, he took me to, uh, um, and, and I'll answer your question, but I got to tell you that it was a process. So as you yeah, can see. That's, that's the whole deal. And and, yeah. and now that you touch that music topic, yeah. not to get somewhere else, yeah. but to add to it. Yeah. that's That was huge for me. Yeah. Like, you know, like music was the way that I would get out of my own head. Yes. So, you know, yes. when you when you listen to music, you put yourself yep. in a different mood, in a different yep. vibe, in mm -hmm. a different feeling. Yep. And those feelings, uh, when you were saying, oh, I can't listen to worldly music. No, you can, but you're not going to get closer to God. Right. Why? Because, you know, worldly music is like, okay, you know, I came out and I shot this guy and then I got the money and then the girls and I went to the strip club and... That's not the stuff right. that's going to get you closer to God. It's going to get you where you used to be. At one point, I had to cut with, with that music. Yeah. And it was so hard for me because I, I used to work. You know, I used to dance. I used to do like Zumba classes and stuff like that. So everything yeah. that I did was related to music. Right. When I had to cut with all of that music was when I started realizing how much influence it had in me. Yeah. And it's not easy to make those decisions. Like what we were saying before, it's a process, though. Yeah. It's a process. And then you start making decisions towards God, yeah. which is what I was saying. Hey, in the world with God, in the world with God. But at one point, you go, you know what? I'm going to leave all of it yeah. behind, and I'm going to go with God. And nobody understands that is a process, man. Yeah. Like, you, we don't get there overnight yeah. unless it's a miraculous thing that is... Right. One, one in a million, one in a thousand, but the rest yeah. is this process that we're yeah. talking about. My process was I got rid of Power 96, and then I got rid of Y100, and then I stayed in 99 Jams, and that was the last one. Once I let that one go, it was, I was free. But then when I was free, I was like, man, is, is that easy? I should have just known. I would have let go of everything. There was <laughs> nothing more beautiful than for me to please God. But it was a process because I didn't understand repentance. I understood that every time that I would sin, I just asked God for forgiveness. So I remember I was a lifeguard at the time. It's like saying sorry. Hey, yeah. I'm sorry, God, yeah. and you keep doing it. Yeah, I was a lifeguard. I had a stolen radio. And I told the guy, I gave him a ride. Hey, you like my radio? He goes, bro, that's an expensive radio. You paid a lot of money for that, right? Like a thousand or more. And I said, no, 50 bucks. He goes, oh, I started laughing. I said, I bought it from a crackhead. And he's like, you're not, you're a Christian? I go, yeah. I asked God for forgiveness. I was being very honest. And he started laughing and that kind of yeah, impacted you're, you're me. Yeah, you're talking mm -hmm. in the middle of your ignorance, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
He wasn't saved. I'm saved. And he's pulling my card. So wow. I went back and I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing wrong? And I understood repentance, turning from your sin and turning to God. And when I started understanding that, that is when God started his deliverance process. That's so life. cool because this is what we, what we were saying before yeah. is making decisions towards him yeah. and you have to leave things behind. Yeah. So that's where my process started, and uh, it's, man, it was a journey. Then God was speaking to me clearly. Like, I'm talking now, that's how God will talk to me in my mind. And I'm like, okay, like, he will give me times, he'll give me dates, and he says, I want you to stand here, I want you to preach, I want you. So my first one was uh, working with you for Christ. And uh, Was that in the church? Jail, that was jail ministry. okay. That was jail ministry. And then I guess that's where I'm going to connect more with Mike, with the music, uh, the rap. But I remember I started um, working in the jail ministry and I would give my testimony. And this was in the hood where I grew up. So that a lot of these kids knew me. But I was like, God, how many times can I give my testimony? You know, because they didn't want to hear the word of God. I, mean, I don't want to hear that, but I'll give my testimony. Wow. Then I can bring the word of God. But I was like, man, God, I'm going back to prison, uh, jail, and I'm preaching, and these guys are hearing the same story. That's boring. And he goes, start doing rap. And I'm like, I hate rap. I don't want to do rap. <laughs> I'm here fighting with God. I don't want to do rap. So it's, it's just so funny what I'm about to tell you. So Ice makes a, Ice is a producer, and he made a, a song for me. It was Thief in the Night at the time, but he made the beat. He's, he's called these days Ice the Shooter. Ice the Shooter. <laughs> so did you did you yeah. know at all that like there was Christian rap that was no. a thing at all? You no. had no idea. No. So that's very interesting. You're just yeah. like I'm gonna rap, but yeah, I'm gonna go rap. But I never rapped a day in my life. Right. That's that's very interesting. You just come with that like. So okay. <laughs> my anger with God is like, give me something that I'm talented in. Don't give me something I've never done. <laughs> Every task he's ever given me is stuff I've never done in my life. <laughs> Doesn't he go, hey, Serge, uh, do you suck at this? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, that's what I want you to do, you know? <laughs> so so I started, uh, this is so funny, I started bringing a beat to the jails. And then the rumor spread that I'm a rapper. And I'm like, yeah, I have a rap. And a guy's like, hey, I heard you're a Christian rapper. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at like, yeah. So then I'm praying one day and, and I'm like, um, God, I want to know that you're here. Remember, I lived a radical life. So I needed this intimate relationship with God. And as my eyes were closed and I was praying, I said, lay hands on me, God. And I feel five fingers on my forehead, bro. I'm like, whoa, talk to me, daddy. And then he starts giving me words uh, to thief in the night. And he starts giving me direction. This is what I want you to do with the youth. So I started recording my music and I, I started um, rapping to the youth. And the funniest thing is that I've never rapped a day in my life. So I did not know what it meant to be on Temple, you know? So my songs were all over the place. And uh, this uh, Brimstone, he's a, a person that uh, produces music also and does mixing and mastering. He had a cut pace, cut pace, cut pace, cut pace, my whole entire so you, you, song. You recorded the song out of like, uh, you know, tempo and whatever, and then he had to redo it in uh, order to make it yeah. sound good. He yeah. must have been He's, so annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Man, he took so much. And the first song wow. was 
Just when you think everything is all right, yo, Jesus comes like a thief in the night. Prepare yourself like a soldier. Don't ever say, I never told you. And the kids are like, ah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's pretty cool. But what, I, what year was that? Oh, my goodness. That was 1999. <laughs> that was 1999. I never felt like a rapper. You know what I mean? Because. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I never rapped a day in my life. The second one was uh, my life. I never knew why you kept me alive. But now I see this is more than a dream. I was predestined to serve the king. And then Albert, uh, what, this is so unusual, man. What I'm saying, what I'm about to say now, but Bert is the one that sings testimony in our song. Uh -huh. He also passed away. So it's like, man, God is like all these people I've worked with. Literally, I've seen them just pass away, you know, and go to the next life. But um, rapping to these kids, man, brought me so much joy because they were like, man, after you rap, I want to hear everything you got to say. So that was my bait. But this is my problem. The church people, man, they were just so... I mean, hate ain't the word, bro. I was I was gonna go there because Man. you were saying that God tells you go to go to prison or go to jail yeah. and then you know share the gospel yeah. and whatever. But how was your process in church, dude? Like, how do you get from church to to a prison, you know, ministry or to a jail ministry? Because you know, like, I never experienced anything like that, you know. So it was um, a person by the name of Glenn. And uh, he invited me. I forgot how we met, but he's like, would you like to um, do the jail ministry? I'm like, okay, God, these are the things that he spoke to me in the secret. And then, oh, know. okay. So I went there and uh, um, he's like, afterwards, how did you feel? And I felt, I felt normal. I felt How long you've right? been a Christian for at that time? Very short. I got saved on 97, 99. I was already uh, in, in my first. Also oh, two uh, years in. Two years, but I Three months after giving my life to Jesus Christ, I was already uh, preaching in the church, giving my testimony and the little bit I knew of, of the word of God. Um, and I would see uh, just the power of God move. But so I'm here in the, <laughs> so funny, I'm doing the, the the jail ministry. Now God speaks to me and he goes, I'm going to send you back to the neighborhood where I took you out of. I said, the same neighborhood, they try to kill me. <laughs> I said, no, God. That is non-negotiable. But that day was interesting because I was worshiping and I was worshiping. God said, I want to speak to him. I'm like, speak to me, daddy. You know, <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me, God. <laughs> go back to the neighborhood. No, don't talk to me now. <laughs> so he's like, I want you to go back and I want you to preach the word of God. I go, no, 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 God, you're, you're talking to that guy. You're not talking to me, but tell me what else, what else you want me to know. And, you know, at that time, he would tell me a lot. If you don't move, I won't move. And I want to cry, man, because he was saying this. You see, you don't lose your salvation. So he lives inside of you. But what you lose is the anointing that breaks the yoke. Um, the one that created the heavens and the earth, the, the, the God of heavens and the earth, he had this discussion with Moses. And man... Moses really got in God's nerves. He really did. God was fuming. And this is what 
the average Christian should understand. The omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful God set himself up where he needs man here on earth to fulfill his perfect will. Yeah, I was listening to a preaching today just about that, that God thanks, is, thanks for cutting me off, but yeah. No, God is no, spirit. No, great, great. God is spirit, <laughs> and, and he doesn't invade our world yes. without our permission. Yes. So legal authority. So, so now God is saying, my son, I need your legal authority yep. so I can use you to bring healing, to bring deliverance. The kingdom. To bring salvation, to bring the kingdom of God. Now, I'm this you know, person that is not understanding this Christian thing, but I'm reading the Bible and I'm saying, so so Jesus healed, that means I can heal. Jesus casted out demons so I can cast out demon. Jesus preached with authority, so now I can preach with authority. So I started putting this into practice and I started seeing the glory of God. Remember, I lived such an extreme life in the world. I hated God and everything to do with God that when I came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he had to show me, just like Moses, he had to show me these miracles to show me that, hey, I'm speaking to you. This is me. I got to see the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. I got to preach the gospel and see hundreds, if not thousands of people and this year will be 27 years of serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I got to see the glory of God. So now he speaks to me and he goes, go back to the neighborhood. And I'm like, I'm not going there. <laughs> and he says, son, if you don't move, I won't move. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I want this intimate relationship with you, God. I want to be able to hear your voice knowing that it's you. So, and, and this is the issue also with the average Christian that and that they should know. Not only does God want us to allow us to give him the legal authority here on earth so he can um, use us, he also, but let me go back because you threw off my chain of thought when you were saying the kingdom. You see, like you said, God is spirit and those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So because he's spirit, he's invis invisible, and you need a legal body. So now allowing God to use us, we literally become his hands and we become his feet, and we get to be used by God. So it's not that I lose my salvation, but God will use someone else to fulfill his perfect will. And I understood that. And we had such a tight relationship. God, I'm like, God, I don't want to lose this. So if you want me to go to Winwood. I'm going to go to Winwood, but watch, nothing's going to happen. Now, you got to understand that we look at Jonah and Nineveh, Nineveh. We look at Jonah and Nineveh, and Jonah didn't want to go because the people were heathens. And he knew that they weren't going to repent. He knew that they weren't going to be saved. But it's not about what we know or what we think is God's perfect will being done. And we learn later that, yeah, they did not repent and they, you know, they perish. But the, the whole purpose of this is not being a Jonah, not running from God, not allowing us to go through circumstances like a whale to spit us out or a big fish to spit us out so then we can be in God's perfect will and, and fight and battle with God. We have to be able to say, God, I, I surrender in my ignorance to you. Use me. God used me more 
when I was ignorant to the things of God that now that I understand theology. When I was ignorant, God would say, do it, and I would just do it. I don't care if he would say, kick a person, I would kick him. Well, you, you weren't questioning him about anything that I he wasn't. was telling you. Not that I kicked someone, but what I'm trying to say is anything that God asked me to do, I was I would do it. Yeah, obedience is better than sacrifice. sacrifice. So I was here walking with him. He says, go back. And I went back, but I started negotiating with him. And I said, God, I need, I need, I need you to show me that you're real. I have to know that this is what you're calling me to do. So... I would say, man, in, in my walk, man, I really questioned God a lot because I was scared that it was me coming up with this on my mind. It's In the beginning, it's difficult to hear or understand, not hear, understand if it's the voice of God, your voice or the enemy's voice. And it's hard to really discern that. But I don't think God is afraid of us asking questions, though, right. you know, because yeah. if the questions come from from hey, I really don't yeah. know, and I really want to know. Yeah. You know, if you have a if you have a pure heart with the question, he'll answer yeah. it. Though, the 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 weird thing is when we come up with questions where where we're putting him on on a we we, we become a judge of who right. he is or what he's doing. Hey, what yeah. are you doing? And what of do you course. mean? And uh, yeah. with that attitude, yeah, you know, it's just really hard to have that close relationship. Yeah. But you know what? It's funny that we're talking now and it's like God is now bringing it to remembrance. You see, I had to go through all of that for him to prepare me for this place called Winwood. Winwood was, again, the, the street corner where we set up the chairs. Uh, you, Alvaro, played the drums. And, and, and Mike, you also helped out in the ministry, um, serving. Um, he prepared me for that. He had to, let me say he had to, he wanted to empower me with the Holy Spirit before sending me to Winwood. Remember, I got saved in a Baptist church. I got invited to this Pentecostal church, and I found it so weird. But the purpose of it was that I was there, and I came in, and people were speaking in tongues. And I'm like, I don't like this. It makes me feel weird. <laughs> you know, I don't understand what they're saying. Why is the pastor screaming? Why is he so emotional? So I'm here and I'm like, again, I can't wait to leave. But, and then this, the Holy Spirit reminded me, just like when I got saved that I wanted to leave, when I was in that church, I wanted to leave. But God was setting me up to empower me, to fill me up with his Holy Spirit. I remember the pastor called me to the front and he laid hands. You know, he told me, what, what do you want prayer for? I said, man, whatever you want. And he laid hands on me and I fell on the floor. I opened my eyes and all I heard was, I started speaking in tongues and people were clapping and say, ah! and I'm looking around and it was an African-American <laughs> church. And I'm like, what is happening? The best way to describe it, it was like throwing up. Like I felt, ah! that's what I felt. But what was coming out of my mouth was tongues. And I'm looking, I'm freaking out and saying, I don't like this. I don't like this. And everybody's clapping. And I'm like, why are they clapping? This is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's bad. Um, so there I remember going home and, and uh, I started praying and I was speaking tongues. And my mom opened the door. She says, you're demon possessed. Get out of here. And I'm like, no, this is the Lord. No, 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 no. You're demon possessed. Get out of here. So um, a lot of my friends really thought that I lost it, man. 
following Jesus and letting go of everything. I just kept a little red scooter and I finally got rid of the little red scooter. Um, I didn't care about money anymore. I didn't care about clothes. I didn't care. I just wanted to satisfy Jesus. But now I'm speaking in tongues and a lot of my friends are like from far away, like, yo. So a lot of my friends stopped speaking to me. They really thought I lost it. Obviously, as time went by, um, I mentioned Ivan earlier. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's funny because, well, that's not funny, but I was preaching in a street corner and uh, he was preparing a shotgun to kill his father for mental abuse. And uh, I was preaching in a street corner and uh, that was one of the ones that kind of backed away. And he came, he heard the message of the cross and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And now he has a ministry called Walk for Christ. And uh, he gets to... Uh, preach the gospel, and he's probably brought thousands to the feet of Jesus Christ, you know. But that's just one of many that God has used me uh, to bring to the feet of Jesus. But my friends really thought that I lost it because now I'm not only preaching the gospel, but now I'm speaking in tongues. Now, of course, I found it really weird. There was times that I would open up the Bible, I would start reading the Bible, and it's like, and I'm like, what's going on, God? This is weird, man. I, I'm not liking it. And then I would pray. And just when I would pray, it's not like if I'm thinking about what I'm about to say. It's just oh, coming out. Just flow. Just flow. But as I'm flowing, and I'm like, and these are real tongues that I'm not just making up words. I'm, I'm speaking in tongues and I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is getting bad, God. So then where it got even worse, whereas I started preaching the gospel, laying hands on people and they started falling down on top of rocks, even when it was raining, some would fall on top of mud, uh, dirty grass, like on top of chairs. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not the ministry I want. <laughs> I've watched this guy growing up called Benny Hinn. You know, I don't want this. You know, I, I'm sure he paid people to stand up out of wheelchairs and God proved me wrong. I got to lay hands on people, wheelchairs, multiple. I got to see him stand up. Uh, there was one instant where I believe Mike, was you recording? Mm -hmm. or yeah. Mike was recording. Yeah. And we seen an individual stand up out of a wheelchair. The Bible says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. We didn't know what was going to happen. I was just believing that God was going to stand him up from that wheelchair. I got to see it over and over and over again. Take us back to like day one in Winwood. Like, what was that? Like, was there, was there a plan and set? Was it like, okay, we're going to do this every Friday. Was there a team or was it just you? Was it just speakers? Was it just... You speaking aloud, like, how did that start? So that started with me listening to God. And he says, I'm going to give you a date. What's the date? He gave me the date. It landed on a Thursday. I'm like, no, it should land on a Saturday. It should land on a Sunday. No one's going to come on a Thursday, God. Everyone works. Everyone's going to be busy and no one's going to come. So I started on a Thursday. It was just me by myself. I set up some speakers, uh, two speakers, a microphone, and I started rapping. Literally rapping. The same thing that you were doing uh, in jail? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then I would uh, see people uh, walking through the streets and like, oh, that's hard. Come here, rap, but no bad words. So I would mm. set up my house for people to come, start rapping with the speakers. 
And then after that, I would bring a sermon and I would preach. Mm. Um, I got this, uh, well, the Lord got this guy's attention. His name is Danny. So it started out with this guy named Danny. And uh, I negotiated with him and I said, listen, man, I want you to come to my Bible studies. He's like, no, nah, man. I said, I want you to come to my Bible studies, but I'm going to allow to use my music studio for free. He said, huh? You're not going to charge me? I said, no, you just can't say any bad words, but I'm going to allow you to use the music studio for free. So he invited Omar and Omar started coming. So my congregation was two people and I would allow them to use my studio, but they felt so conviction that they started convicted that they started doing Christian rap. <laughs> so now I have these two individuals that I was preaching to with the speakers. Now, mind me, everybody can hear me in the, in, in the, in the park. So um, they started bringing their girlfriends, their mom, their stepfathers. <laughs> I'm talking about cousins. And it started growing. It started growing, growing. And then the homeless people started coming. And Cujo, the, my friend that is spending uh, 20 years in prison that should be out this year, his mom, Noli, started coming. And she goes, what do you think if I start cooking for the homeless and for the church? I'm like, sure. She did the rice and beans. This other girl by the name of Gloria, what do you think if I start buying chicken? And I'm like, sure. So I came with no plan, you know, mm. um, and, and I learned this about God. When he gives you a vision, he's going to give you the provision. So God started providing. People are like giving money. I'm like, no, this is not a church. I don't want your money. No, 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 no. Buy some new speakers. So we purchased new speakers. And God is so awesome. I remember we had like 10 chairs. And God said, I will fill every chair that you put there. So I said, hey, you know, you guys that are coming, uh, invest $10 in a chair. So they started bringing chairs. There was a, a time that we had 150 chairs, 150 people showed up. Yes. So um, it was something that was so impactful that till today's date, a lot of the people that had experienced Wynwood have never experienced anything like that Again. Well, we, we've spoken about it before, you yeah. know, but it, it didn't have this background, you know, from yeah. from not only you, but, you know, the plays and the, the history of the plays and the whole thing. We didn't spend this much time explaining what it really was, but um, it was very special, though. It was very special because yeah. God would really show up in that place. And it's, it was very unexpected because yeah. it was just in the middle of the street. Yeah. Yeah. And it was in a, in a neighborhood that the the last thing you would think about <laughs> would be oh god's going to show up yep. in this dump yep. you know yep. it's like forget yep. about it yep. but i wanted to ask you before before you ask me i want to tell yeah. you what was the ne next stage and again i believe this is the holy spirit that now is starting to piece it up piece it together and i'm like wow god you're so amazing <laughs> so i got saved and then now he empowered me. I'm speaking in tongues and he sends me to Wynwood. <laughs> and now I remember I'm preaching in Wynwood and man, just the fire of God, the power of God. And he goes, I want you to go to college. And I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> so you guys really don't know my background. I never read a book in my entire life of living. I was so 
ignorant. I would watch, <laughs> and I wish my brother would watch this one day. My big brother, Audie, he's an atheist, want nothing to do with God. He's just so lost in the things of the world, always saying bad words and, you know, doesn't even respect that I'm a man of God. But anyways, um, we would watch a movie together and I was always tell him, Ore, that's what I call him, Orestes, Ore. What did he just say? And he looks at me like, bro, are we watching the same movie? Just watch the movie, bro. <laughs> but I was so ignorant that I didn't understand certain words, you know, and he had to explain it to me. So my, um, the reason why I say that is because now the first book that I, I read was the Bible. That's the first book I ever read. I had to read every single um, paragraph, every five sentences. I had to read it five times just to register. But by the time I'm already in uh, chapter two, and let's say Matthew chapter one, I read it 50 times and I'm like, okay, I understood it. I go to chapter two, I forgot chapter one. And could have my brain been damaged because of, how I grew up and the PTSD. Um, I don't know, but I do know this. If you're worshiping and God says, I want you to go to Bible college. And I start laughing <laughs> again. I'm like, you're talking to that guy because I am so ignorant. God, I, I won't do the Bible college thing. That That's not negotiable. I keep worshiping. And you know what he says? If you don't move, I won't move. So I started, uh, I inquired, I spoke to a friend of mine, and he told me about Liberty Bible College and Seminary with Dr. Long in Hamasosa, Florida. And I started going to Bible college there, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so hard, man. But the Holy Spirit, the one that guides us to our truth, the one that comforts us, started helping me as I took my associates, my bachelor's in ministry, and then from there, I'm like, man, by the way, associates and bachelors, it took forever. After that, he goes, I go, I'm done, God, I'm done. He goes, you're going to continue. So I went to my master's in theology. And I remember I had to do a thesis there. Oh, my goodness. I was like, no. I think I read like a million books, you know. And I'm like, I can't do this Bible college stuff, man. And uh and this is so awesome how God is just bringing all this to remembrance right now. And then he told me, I want you to get your doctorate. So at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get it over with. So I did it. And now I have my doctorate degree in a little slab of dirt in Wynwood, <laughs> a PhD. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, what am I going to do with this God? So I kept preaching. The advantage to that was that I was able to preach to the Jehovah's Witness and understood their founder and understood what they believed and why they believed it. In other words, they will use our same Bible, but they'll see it through the eyes of the Watchtower Society. The same way with the Mormons. I'll be able to speak to them and see how they see our Bible They'll see it through the Book of Mormon. So they'll see our Bible. In other words, they will translate it through another gospel. Through a lens. Through yeah. the lens, another gospel. And Paul said, uh, even if I come to you or anyone with another gospel, let them be accursed. Mm -hmm. 
So I understood that. Not only that, I got to really understand many different religions. So instead of debating or arguing with them, I'll help them understand through the word of God how they view it. And it was just such a beautiful experience. I'm like, God, this is so beautiful. I can get theological and they won't just see this hood guy. And that's the funny thing. Um, the way I would dress would be with, with jean shorts. Sometimes I'll have a tank top on. And I'll get these people that come and they'll try to debate with me. Not, not only you'll have Christians, they'll try to debate with me with uh, drugs and alcohol, tattoos, things of the world. Uh, a lot of Christians don't debate things of, uh, you know, living holy, living righteous. They'll debate, well, Jesus made water into wine and, you know, so, so on and so forth. So yeah, They're uh, trying to negotiate with their sin and stuff yeah. in order so, to create debate. I would use it not to debate, but basically to help them understand that you're a new creation in Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer you that lives, but Christ that lives in you. So God speaks to me again. Now, this time, I said, this will never, ever, ever, ever happen. I'm here worshiping, and God says, this is funny. I want you to open up a Bible college. And I'm like, no way in a million years can ignorant me, and I don't care if I have a doctorate <laughs> degree, can I open up a Bible college? And I remember uh, negotiating with God and saying, listen, I don't have what it takes. So I call Liberty Bible College and seminary and I speak to Dr. Long. And I'm like, I'm serious. Watch this, God. <laughs> Watch this. I, I, I can't open up a Bible college. And I go, um, hey, Dr. Long, how are you? Hey, uh, Dr. Sergio, how are you? Da, da, da. Um, uh, I feel in my heart that God is calling me to open up a Bible college, but I don't have what it takes, right? And he goes, uh, yes, you do. And I looked up. I'm like, you got me, partner. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you have your doctorate degree. So you can open up a, a, a Bible college and you can teach up to a doctorate level. And now I am, that's it. Um, I'm like, God, it is impossible for me to come up with the funds to open up a Bible college. So guess what? I called Mike. I called Alvaro, Mike and Alvaro. And I'm like, you know what God showed me, man? But there's just no way that I'm going to have the money. And you guys are like, well, we'll give you money. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, Mike was like, man, monthly We'll sew into that, and 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 Alvaro helped me out, and I'll sew in, and I'm like, I ran out of excuses. <laughs> seven years later. Oh, it's funny because um, before the seven years, God told me to come up with a name. And I said, okay, I like Holy Bible College, but that is taken for sure. Man, I Googled it, and it was available. So I went to GoDaddy. And I bought Holy Bible College. And then I was like, how am I going to build this website? And he uses my heathen brother <laughs> that is a whiz. That's all he does. He works on website to build a website. And the back end is a half a million dollars. The website is amazing. Uh, videos are done already. It took seven years but to turn that into God and saying, God, here you are. The feeling is 
amazing. And I forgot to mention that in that, God told me to write a book. And I was worshiping. He told me to write a book, and it's called What Pastors Don't Talk About. And I wrote that book. Um, with the rap music, I never wanted to do rap music, and I created four albums. The first one was Thief in the Night. The second one was Soldiers for Christ. The third one was Unleash. And the uh, fourth one, I just named it Detour Music, and I started doing a lot of singles. So made over 50 songs. Um, God used me to create short films. Um, I will have over 200 videos in the 26 years that I've been preaching. And I'm like, God, you're just so amazing. And you're probably saying, what is it that that pushed you to do all these things? And it was one scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. So he used an ignorant person from the hood to open up a Bible college, to write a book, to uh, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to have a prison ministry, man, all for his glory, man. That's my life, man. So what's what's next for Dr. Dr. Sergio? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm scared, like I'm shaking in my boots because I feel that God is going to call me to a third world country. Hmm. I'm, I'm shivering because I'm like, okay, God, you gave me everything that I didn't want. And you know I don't want to go to a third world country. So I'm just waiting for him to tell me now. He hasn't mentioned anything, um, but he knows that I'm ready. So I'm to the point in my life right now where I lost everything in the beginning of my ministry, seven years into my ministry, six years, almost seven. Um, had a divorce, and my ex-wife took my three kids. Uh, house was in foreclosure. They took my car. I lost everything. And I'm saying today... God, if I would lose everything again, everything again, I will still love you. I will still serve you. But I'm willing, this time, I am willing to do everything that you ask me to do, except go to a third world country. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where I'm at right now. I'm hearing the, the voice of God. I'm fasting. I'm praying looking for direction right now he's opened a door through this podcast where i'm getting people calling me and i'm seeing some of the 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 people commenting and just being touched by this because what we talk about is not mentioned in the church well it's not open yeah. discussion you it's know not. like everybody just talks about the the regular stuff but the problems and the issues are never are never spoken though. Yeah. And um especially when you when you have a background that is not, you know, hey, I grew up in church and my dad is a pastor and it, yeah. I, you know, we don't come from that kind of background. So yeah. our upbringing with God is kind of rough. Yeah. And that doesn't that doesn't fit the mold in most places. But um I wanted to ask you before when you started when you started preaching to the people that you used to do weird stuff with you know like oh the people that you used to buy 
stolen merchandise from. Yeah. You start preaching to them. You start telling them about Jesus. Well, where they respond, you know, would they, would they be receptive? You know, were they not? Or did they did they create some kind of resistance to a certain point and then they believed? So when I came back to the neighborhood, I remember, um, it's so funny, man. I remember the helicopters. To, 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 to. I remember the police coming. And I'm still preaching. I don't care. I'm bold. I'm preaching. And they're checking Carmen. Carmen passed away also. Her name was Carmen Fon. And uh, she was, um, she would use crack. And she would sit in the sermon. And I remember the police uh, threw down and uh, the SWAT team was there. And they were checking them and they were finding Bibles. <laughs> they were finding notes. And they're like, this is just not normal. So in the beginning it was very difficult, especially for the police. The police, uh, his name now, um, he has a very high position right now. But when I met him, um, he was just a, a, a resource officer. His name, was, his name is uh, Officer Al Guerra. And now he's a uh, very high ranked right now. And uh, I remember he came up to me, man. And he's like, Serge, man, a lot of people are watching you, man. And they want to make sure that you're real, man, especially those in the police department, because they thought you were coming back and to do things that were illegal. As time went by, in 2004, they wrote this newspaper. It's just so beautiful. It was a colorful newspaper. And... Uh, the Miami Herald got to basically write everything that was taking place there in Wynwood. We were, let me take that back. God was the pivotal point between Wynwood and Miami Design District. Wynwood was a very dangerous place to live. Now is the Miami Design District. So God had to break down some walls, renew hearts. And I believe that his anointing came down and he broke the yoke, the strongholds. I believe the principality that was over Wynwood during that time was the spirit of poverty. I believe God broke those chains in those years that we were ministering and now it's called Miami uh, Design District. Yeah, it's where everybody goes, you know, like everybody who comes to Miami wants to go there and take pictures because yes. there's murals all over the place. And yeah. it's very affluent today. You know, it's just very... My, my grandfather bought a house there. My daughter owns it now. It's on 2nd Avenue and 34th Street. Um, that's where I preached. That house, he bought it for a little under $10,000. Now it was in the millions, you know. And uh, we got to see the, the transformation, man. In the beginning, it was difficult because people thought that it was just a stage that I was going through. And it wasn't a stage. What I was going through was a conversion. I was literally being born again, dying to myself and being risen up with Christ and being obedient. And the Bible says, you said it earlier, obedience is better than sacrifice. And I got to see the glory of God. Mike, you were saying um, before about mentorship. Yes. And um, like when I when I got to when I got to Winwood, 
you know, I've 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 spoken about this story before in other in other episodes of the podcast, but when I got to Winwood, pretty much you search where my mentor in understanding walking with God. Right. So what I was saying, man, that transition of like being in the world to being a man of God, I saw it through your life. But because you didn't have any mentorship yourself, right? I didn't feel you were mentoring me. We mm. were just friends. Right. And I would look at your life and then I learned from what I see. You know, it's like, Hey, I see it, copy, paste, and that's it. If it works, works. Yeah. And if it doesn't, it try something else. And what I got to experience in Winwood was really cool because I was reading the Bible, and then what we experienced in that street corner was pretty much match with the Bible. It would match. Like um we would eat first, then we would we would get the word, you would you would bring uh preaching. And then we would pray for people and then, you know, whether it was healing, deliverance or whatever happened. So everything that we would read in the Bible, I would be able to practice it. So it became not only knowledge of something that I read, but, oh, no, this knowledge is a, is, is applicable and it actually works. And, and God actually touches people through me, like what you were saying. Hey, when I let God use me, he actually does the things that this book says through me. And in the middle of that mentorship, you know, I'm seeing your life. We got thrown a curveball, which which was, you know, the ministry is like super cool. It's like uh, probably like 10, 10 men in it. It was Lino, Johnny, me, Mike, um, John. It was uh, Kuso. It was so, yeah. so many. We, we we're probably like 10 guys. I remember we took yeah. a picture and I've been saying like, In man, I, yeah. I would love to see that picture though. And when, when that is like gelling and like really going on, you have to go somewhere else. And then when you have to go somewhere else, it's like, oh, the, the church is going to disintegrate. And when that happened, I got called out by God. Like, hey, are you following Sergio yeah. or are you following me? And that was really strong for me. You know, that was really strong because it wasn't that I was following you, but I was, you were my only beam of light to learn how to walk with God, not just talking, but you were doing it. You know what I'm saying? So I remember you, you would have issues in life like, oh, you know, I'm going through a hard time with my with my finances and I'll be like, no man, like I have money. I'll, I'll give you the money for the rent. And you're like, no, God will provide. And I'm like, this guy's crazy, bro. Yeah. What do you mean God will provide? You know like, how many times Mike wanted to give me money and I'm like, nope. And I God would be, yeah. yeah. And I'll be like, bro, I have money. Like I'll give you the money for the, no, God will provide. I'm like, this guy's crazy, bro. <laughs> and at that moment, I'm just, I'm just learning, you know, how to walk with God. And then like, Three days later, I'm like, hey, did you get the money? No. I got the eviction notice. And I'm like, yo, this guy is crazy, bro. Yeah. And living in that, like, that craziness right. is sometimes where God puts you. Yeah. And it's the norm for God, but it's not normal for us. Right. Yeah. And I would only see those things in you. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
like five days later, you're like, oh, somebody was walking in the street and yeah. then, you know, they gave me like 400 bucks and, and then they started running. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. you're lying. Why, why, <laughs> why are you such a liar, bro? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then when all of those things started happening to me, I will call you and then you'll be laughing because you're like, oh, remember when I used to tell you? I'm like, bro, that's what came to mind as soon as it happened to me. Yeah. So when all of that starts happening, you understand pretty much what, what, what you started with. We read from Paul in the Bible, yeah. but when we get somebody that is a reference of that, we don't only read it, but we get to see it live. You know what I'm saying? And then you get that example and you're able to, to match it or to copy it. And it's not that that everything is cool with you, you know, like, or everything that you have taught me has worked or everything that you've done is, no, you have a lot of like flaws, like everybody, <laughs> like everybody else, you know, yeah. there's, there's times where yeah. I've been wanting to talk to you or for you to comfort me and you don't even catch it. Right. You don't even catch it. You, yeah. you have no idea. And I go yeah. like, oh, you know, yeah, forget about it. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to get it. So, you know, I'm yeah. out. And all of those things are part of the Christian life. Right. And that is the stuff that is never talked about. Right. That sometimes we're going to argue. Right. And sometimes we're going to fight. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we don't love each other and that we cannot forgive each other or that we cannot just talk about it. Hey, yeah. we had an argument. We had a fight. Man, I'm sorry yeah. this. And let's keep going. Because yeah. everybody thinks that church is perfect. And everything outside of perfection is a done deal. Oh, you you yell at me, so I'm right. going to leave the church and I'm going to leave the faith. Yeah, Pam and I were talking about that today. Like some of her friends, um, college roommates, and uh, it was her and like, I think two other girls. So the other two other girls' roommates, you know, they're all clicked. They're all together and cool and everything. And then what separated them was one, you know, uh, progressive being progressive and other ones, you know, conservative. So the, the conservative was all for Trump and the progressive wasn't. So oh, wow. Th hmm. They set aside their Christianity wow. to debate over politics. Hmm. And then their friendship split on that down that road. Wow. And we were just talking about that today because um, one of the, the college roommates came for a winter break and we were hanging out with her with her. She's, you know, very, very liberal in her ideas and stuff. But then, you know, we we were um, we were just having a discussion like, man, you see how like we as believers let politics inter like influence or get in between us and we no longer like put Jesus as the head, but we trust in a man to lead our country in whatever direction, you know, we, we see fit. But it's like, man, we're we're stepping aside the most important thing that that brought us together together and destroying it over something of this yeah. world but it's it's like friendship itself if i'm if you and me are friends and i'm doing something wrong and you see me and you don't tell me anything are you really my friend you know what i'm saying like if yeah. i'm doing something yeah. wrong and then you just go like oh that's not my place and you know you're a grown man and bro what are you talking about right it's the same like hey you know, I'm for Biden, you're for Trump, and yeah, we're different. So what? You know, right. we still can be friends and stuff. But today, everything that is 
uncomfortable or difficult or weird. It's just like, okay, that's yeah. it. It's a done deal. And I'm just going to go the other way. And it's, it's yeah. so childish, bro. It's like so three-year-old kind of kid, man. The Holy Spirit brought it to my memory also. Another thing, this, this one, like, if that didn't top it, this one topped it. So it was November 17. And for me to remember time dates, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> like Salvador? Yeah. <laughs> November 17 at 2.30 p.m., 2006. Wow, that is a sour memory. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. So that's that's the day the um, lawyer stamped the paper and we got a legal divorce, me and my ex-wife. So that day I went to Cal uh, not Calvary, um, Trinity Church to preach. And I asked a friend of mine by the name of Mike to preach at Wynwood. So I didn't preach that day. And after I was done, I went back to Wynwood, and I remember um, service was over, and I see this girl with short hair, and she had white pants on, a pink shirt, and she was sitting in the chair, and God said, that's going to be your wife. And I said, no, God. That is not going to be my wife. <laughs> I'm going to be, you know, single for the rest of my life, you know. So God said, that's going to be your wife. So I walked around her and I said, no, that's not going to be my wife. I'm never, ever planning to get married again. So that was November 17, same day that I went through the divorce. Wow. At 10 something, like 10, 12, 10, 18 p.m., and I was so mad with God because the divorce was so hard that I just, you know, never wanted anything to do with women. <laughs> it's very difficult. You didn't see like Paul or Peter. They didn't have a, a husband and wife ministry together, you yeah. know. And it's very difficult, man. To be married is is so difficult because you have two individuals that see things so differently. I remember King David when he came from uh, dancing before the Lord in the ark. His wife was like, what are you doing? You, you were ridiculous, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she had hate in her heart. Like, read it and study it. You're going to be like, Where? why didn't I get this? You know, she got hate in her heart, man. So God made her barren. So the purpose, the reason why I say that is because I was like, God, I want nothing to do with women. I want to serve you wholeheartedly for the rest of my life. And he said, that's your wife. We got married. So that was November 17, like at 10 something. We got married the following year, 2007, on February 3rd. Do the math. See how many days. So the God's ways are not our ways, you know, um, he gives us a helper and that helper is designed to help the man of God reach different levels. The women can see stuff that we can't see. Yeah. Um, Eve was the one that was able to see Satan, you know, and was tricked. And so it was Eve that went and deceived her husband, basically. So, but... I believe the women can see more into the spirit than the man. Like, we don't see it, 
they see it. And then later on, we go back and say, wow, you did see it. So I, um, my wife was so powerful, man. Every time we would minister together, she'll be right next to me. And I'll preach in English and she'll translate in Spanish. And after we're done, I'm just like, how did you know what I was going to say? Because she would almost translate it like almost exactly, bro, at the same time. And, uh, but another trial and tribulation that um, this February 3rd is going to make 18 years that we've been married. But another thing that a lot of people don't talk about, man, are their struggles in their marriage, man, and how it affects your walk, man, tremendously. Well, the two of you are one, and yeah. then if one is affected, both of you are going to be affected. Yeah. yeah. And and the ministry, you know, you always hear this phrase, especially in the church, oh, your first ministry is your house. Yeah. And it's really hard to be a minister in your house when you're having conflicts, you know, yes, with, with, with your wife. So that is never talked. No, because you sleep in the couch. Or they use the big D word, divorce. And, and not just yeah. that, and not just that, but yeah. but in front of the church. Yeah. Oh, if your house is not in order, then you cannot be a man of God. Right. Uh, it's, it's, those kind of things are so hard to understand or to swallow why because when you are the one who is in that situation right aren't you a man of god aren't you a son of god did, did anything change because you made a mistake or because you're going through a hard time with your wife or so those things are really hard to speak because there's no book in it but it's always judged as oh it's your fault and then you have to fix it and and there's never like from the church it's like hey man how can i help you how can i be of help like you never see that very very rarely you see somebody that you can confide that to telling you man how can how can i help you man how can we pray for it hey let's 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 fast together let's do something together to battle this thing like it's it's never spoken man yeah and and it's difficult i would say the hardest thing in life for me It's being married. Yep. I mean, I can preach to a drug lord, a drug dealer, a murderer, but being married, and the reason why I say that is just the way God wired us. He wired us so differently, man. It's like he commanded us to love them and commands them to respect us, but love doesn't come natural from us. Respect us. And when you look at a woman, a woman doesn't naturally respect. They don't. They naturally love. So God puts like a challenge, man. And, and it's so hard because what people don't notice is when they get married, they, the husband and the wife, both of them, they bring their baggage. Yeah. You're raised, you're raised in a totally different house with totally different values. Yes. And you've been experiencing life totally different. And then you have no idea of any of that. And then you put it into a pod like, okay, try to try to figure it out. Mix yeah. it. Go for it. And then it's not the big things that affect your marriage. I'm going to use uh, uh, an example. And I want you guys to look it up once uh, we leave this podcast. 
Billy Graham's wife, do you know they asked her in an interview on television, have divorce ever crossed your mind? Do you know what she said? Yes. <laughs> what did she say? I guess she said yes. No. No? She said murder. Oh, wow. Ran through my mind. <laughs> Look wow. it up. And the reason why I know is because I went to Billy Graham's house and, and you know, we did like the, the you know, looking at all the, the tour, stuff that yeah. he did. And the tour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was so shocked by that. And the thing is that when God mandates us, when God calls us, it is so difficult once you have a family to say, hey, babe, I got to go. In the beginning is easy, but then it gets more difficult because there's responsibility yeah. involved. And I noticed that if I go buy a car, let's say it's a 1987 Buick Regal, my wife is going to look at the outside of the car and say, oh my goodness, look at that paint job. Look at those tires. Look at the interior. What are we going to do as men? Mike, what, what would you do? What's the first thing you'll do? Pop the hood. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, for us, it's just so, it's but, common but, but sense. They look at space and the chairs and like, oh, the radio. Yeah. And we're yeah. like, bro, like, does, how this, many miles? does this actually work? <laughs> like, it's, it's right. gonna... how, how many miles, yeah. you know, has the engine yeah. been rebuilt? Yeah. You know, but that is how we view life. So this is the average marriage gets affected. Yeah, we know that finances is number one, but it's the little things. And what I mean by the little things is leaving the curtain open, but yet your spouse likes it closed or vice versa. Putting the toilet paper, either you face it this way or do you face it that way? When you're single, you throw your clothes on the floor, you know? Now that you're married, it's like, hey, what's up? Um, and, 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 I, and I pray that there's a woman watching this because I, I need to know, why can't you just grab the garbage? Why do you leave it by the door? If, if it's just one step away, just throw it in the garbage can. Well, you know? it's, 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 it's like, it's like your, your duty. Oh, yeah. your duty is to get the trash out. Right. Your right. duty is this. Your duty right. is that. Right. And it's funny because like yeah. that debate is a lot on 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 podcasts and oh, stuff really? like that. I yeah, didn't know that. yeah, but yeah. The reason why I say that, and to sum it up, is mm -hmm. it's the little things that affect a marriage. They pile up. They pile yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. And God tells us to deal with them with understanding. We have twelve hundred dollars. We're about to pay the mortgage. is is almost due, babe. I want to go to Disney World. <laughs> like we have to pay the mortgage you know it's stuff like that and god says deal with them with understanding um men can only use one side of their brain women can use both sides of the brain simultaneously you know so when god says deal with them with understanding and maybe we can do a podcast on this one day and, and focus on it without us sleeping in the couch you know I know Mike is real quiet. Well, you know this is going to require to have a woman in the room. We, we, we can't. Yeah, you're right. We can't be one side. Yeah, on you're right. I, I, have, I have no idea what they yeah. feel or what they think yeah. unless they're right. here and we actually right. ask. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, since you volunteered your wife, I would say <laughs> let's, let's, let's get Pam in here <laughs> and let's make it happen. But, you know, th this is stuff that it's serious because so many men are being affected in their ministry, man. Um, I remember um, Bert also, uh, Kirk, 
Kirk um, passed away also. It's so weird that I'm naming all these people that have passed away, but um, Bert, uh, Kirk, I'm sorry, he went and he took his daughter uh, uh, to the beach and a current took him and his daughter. And there was a man that jumped in, saved his daughter, came back to save Bert, uh, Kirk, and they both drowned. That came out on the oh, wow. on the news. Yeah, man of God, we, we loved him. Uh, my wife and I, you know, he was very dear to our heart um did you ever play basketball with kirk or no i didn't no. okay we were always play basketball we did a lot of ministry together and uh why was i bringing him up again i forgot but um the the point of the conversation man is that uh marriage is just so difficult man um because we think so differently man and God created us that way, and there's a purpose behind it. And our job as men of God is to really deal with our wives with understanding and learning to love them. Well, it's a command. But you know, they command us to correct. love them. They're not commanded to love them. But this us. is the cycle. I'm going to tell you the cycle. The cycle is, well, if she doesn't respect me, I'm not going to love her. And it's not until she respects that I'm going to love. And that's the cycle. So all of these men of God. Oh, that's why I brought up Kirk. So, and I'm glad this is a podcast. It's not structured. <laughs> so I remember Bert, uh, Kirk, I keep saying Bert. Kirk got married <laughs> and uh, his wife bought some beautiful couches. This guy brought so many gang leaders to Christ, man. God used them with gangs tremendously. I'm talking about 30, 40 people coming into his house. So he got married and his wife bought these beautiful couches and told him he couldn't have Bible study anymore in the house because there were brand new couches and they were going to mess it up. So I don't think that marriage lasted over a year. Um, she got in his way for everything that he did, questioned him for everything. And what I'm trying to say is that when you are single, Paul says, I pray that you remain single as I am single because he knew the the hardship the the the, the struggles we're going to go through the Bible says that the, the women will desire the things of the world they they want their nice shoes nice cars nice houses and we just want to satisfy God as ministers of the gospel so his marriage didn't last too long but there's a lot of ministers that go through these trials and these tribulation and again it's something that it's not talked about yep. Because then the big D word is mentioned, divorced. Or you have this special little couch <laughs> that you sleep in just because you opened your mouth and spoke about it. But I believe we should talk about this one day. We should have a podcast and, like Mike says, have a woman. help. It'll be nice for them to help us understand how they view things. Yeah, like for yeah. me, that opportunity mm -hmm. would be super cool to just like pick on 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 somebody's brain that is not yeah, it's not an attack on them. Right. It's just like, understand. hey, I would love to understand how you yeah. really process things. Yeah. And you ask questions a lot of times, yeah. but you get those superficial answers, you yeah. know, like, oh, I do it because I felt it or whatever. And then yeah. You never go deep into that stuff, especially yeah. from the from the women's side, though. My wife laughs, but I said, I, I, I know I met Jennifer. 
I fell in love with Jennifer and I married Jennifer, but now there's Jenny, <laughs> you know? So every time it, it, it starts getting close to the, the, the end of the month, you know, the, the menstrual cycle, it's like she goes from Jennifer to Jenny. And I, and I see that, you know, it's hard because they can't control the emotions. And this is why God never gave an office to a woman. Well, they go through very different cycle than yes, us because of, of that. And that's why he never gave them a, an office. So, so are they women that are pastors? Yes, but it's not biblical. They're not called to, to none of the offices, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. They're not called to that. And the reason why God set a man is because and gave him those offices. If you see God from beginning to end, we see that the woman is the helper. Now, if you have a husband and a wife that are in ministry together, the pastor of the church, which is the husband, if he passed away and, and the wife is there and she kind of takes over the church a little bit for a few weeks for someone to take over, I, I kind of see that, but that pastor should pass the baton. You know what I mean? So he should have already been setting up someone to replace him. So in essence, to be honest with you, there should not be a woman with an office. I believe that the word teaches us that the women are called to disciple and minister to other women. The women are also called to disciple and teach the children. The head is Jesus. The man is submitted to Jesus. The woman is submitted to the man and the children are submitted to the woman, the wife, and that is a spiritual chain. And once that chain is broken, then we see disaster happening. Well, today in society, there's this huge push for women to be equal right. than men. And, yeah. you know, in, in every sense of the word, you know, physically, yeah. uh, in the work, you know, in the workplace. And society has a very different point of view than the Bible. And a lot of people will 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 hear this, and they they would say, "Oh, that's that's a very antiquated, yeah. you know, thinking." But um, I would say, if it's not written, then don't do it. Well, because those those things have been established forever. But right. when you change them, yeah, you start seeing everything that we're that we're yeah. seeing today. One of you had mentioned that. Um, there are people that love Jesus but don't like the the Pauline letters, Paul Paul's yeah, letters. Yeah, yeah. The reason being is because Jesus never spoke about uh, homosexuals, and Paul, you know, led by the Holy Spirit, the same God, you know, um, wrote about that. You know, it's, a, it's an abomination. So not just that, but it's many things that were written in these Pauline letters that uh, Jesus didn't mention. So that's why they'll kind of lean and even open up a homosexual church. And they'll say, well, finding the scriptures where Jesus ever spoke about homosexuality, just to talk about that. But you have to view the Bible from uh, Genesis all the way to Revelation. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. So we can pick and choose, but our job is to grab the word of God, and if we see it like Jesus saw it, we're going to do it like he did it. You know, so, and I'm seeing that a lot. Amen. Yeah. 
Awesome. So I guess uh, we'll see what God does, man. I pray that uh, a woman will come, a woman of God, that can just sit here, that we can pick her brain. And, uh, and then they, 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 she can actually be open and, and teach us things. So yeah. I'm, I'm open to learn. Maria Castillo. Ooh, Maria Castillo. Yeah, that'll be a good one. That'll be a good one. To get her. Yeah, she's going through a lot of trials and tribulations right now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that'll be a good one. But um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I know that my story goes on and on and on and on. No, it's, it's, you it's know, cool, but, you know, because um, I remember one time uh, Sergio was like, oh, you know, I don't want any titles. And then he goes like, oh, hi, I'm Dr. Iglesias. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, then I, and then I wrote, then I wrote, oh, you're, you know, you're doctor, rapper, and then, you know, Bible college <laughs> owner, and then <laughs> you know, like, all yeah. of these different things. And what's cool about it is, Man, God had a different plan than what you had in yeah. mind. But even though you didn't want to do all of those things, you've done it. And then you got to know people. You got to yeah. like do things with people or in people's lives. Preach like, to different audiences. Like ours. Yeah. Like ours. Yeah. That that have been impacted by it, man. Yeah. I don't like titles, but God created titles. He gave some to be apostles, Ephesians 4, 11 prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, what, for the equipping of the saint, for the work of the ministry. So that's always been a fight with me, titles, because when you call me by my name, there's intimacy. You know what I mean? When you call me by my title, now it's like, oh, you know, you, you can't be open. You got to speak the Christian lingo. You can't, you know, talk about private things like uh, masturbation or falling into sin or, or uh, you know, adultery, just things that are really the, the secret things from your heart because the title now puts you in a place or a position where, man, I, I, I got to speak to that level. But when you call me by my name, and I believe they call Jesus by his name, there was a an intimacy there to look. I mean, can you just imagine John in the bosom of Jesus Christ, looking into his eyes, man. And as Jesus taught, that that's intimacy. And so that's always been my fight with the title. And uh, I like my name and I prefer people to call my name. I believe people call Paul, Paul, Peter, Peter, you know, was, hey, Apostle Peter. Hey, Apostle Paul. I don't think it was yeah. like that. Now, the title's there, but there's a God-given name. So oh, and there's there's a time and a place to yeah. respect people and honor people yeah. with whether it's title or or yeah. their position. But yeah, like you're not born uh Pastor Sergio. Like right. it's just weird. I don't for yeah. me that's weird. But well, it, if people want to be called like that, I'm respectful of, enough. You know, think of all the, the disciples and even Paul himself, his name changed. You know, how how it was one name before that, and then God gave him a new clearly. The names have symbolisms. They have some kind of identity, yeah. You know that it was given, and he wanted to create a new identity by giving him a new name. So. Yeah, so that's why in like Bible college, so Saul <laughs> and Paul, that was they were always both of his names. So he never changed his name from Saul to Paul. Those were his names always. One was uh, uh, his Jewish name, and the other one was the uh, Rom Roman name. So, but anyways, that's where Bible college gets you in slaps you up but the thing is that a lot of times we repeat you know what we hear and you probably heard that somewhere 
and then you repeated it. But no, those were always his names, Saul and Paul. And that's why they call me Dr. Iglesias. <laughs>